Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Helper. Are you in search for the perfect health insurance? Well, look no farther because they are the ultimate platform that revolutionizes the way that you find, enroll, and manage your health coverage. HealthBird offers an innovative solution that is tailored just for you. They have a lightning-fast search engine that you can effortlessly compare health insurance quotes in milliseconds. There's no more tedious hours of browsing endless websites or spending hours on the phone with insurance agents. They offer a user-friendly app available on iOS and Android, which puts the power of managing your health insurance right at your fingertips. So again, you know, don't let the complexity of health insurance overwhelm you. Join HealthBird community and experience a seamless, intuitive platform that puts you in control. So get a quote today at healthbird.com forward slash dealmakers. This episode is brought to you by Bupos. Attention entrepreneurs, are you ready to take your business aspirations to new heights? Allow me to introduce you to Bupos, the ultimate solution for finding and funding your SaaS and subscription-based business acquisitions. With Bupos, you'll experience a seamless and worry-free process. They offer flexible funding and require absolutely no personal guarantee. I mean, again, you can go there, you can explore over a thousand opportunities pre-approved for financing, ensuring that you invest in a business with true profit potential. Bupos has got you covered. Their team actually provides one-on-one advisory support to help you making informed decisions. And on Bupos, you gotta remember, they've already approved over 700 million in funding and they've written over 3,000 businesses, finance hundreds of successful business acquisitions and have an impressive 4.7 out of five stars on Trustpilot. So you should go to bupos.com forward slash dealmakers, and that is bupos as B-O-O-P-O-S dot com forward slash dealmakers. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really uh, incredible founder. You know, I think that the, some of the topics that we're going to be talking about are going to resonate with many of you. You know, I think that the mental health, you know, is something that, it's really top of mind. I personally believe that entrepreneurship, unfortunately, it involves a depression. You know, it's a lonely journey. And I think that really having access to the right tools, it can be very, very beneficial. I find that the um, founder that we have today, you know, he's going to be telling us, you know, about everything, you know, on what they're up to and why it's important. And then also some of the uh, previous companies that he's done, you know, which uh, the last one actually, you know, like uh, is, is really making a killing. So. Uh, he's now on a rocket ship that he's leading. And again, you know, very inspiring journey. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, David Moe. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. And, and really appreciate your insight there. Um, mental health is really important specifically for entrepreneurs who uh, put everything on the line uh, to, to realize a vision. So uh, looking forward to the discussion. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we'll dig deep into that, you know, just in a little bit. So you were born and raised in Cincinnati with an identical twin. Tell us about life growing up. Yeah, it's uh, it's really fascinating. You know, as a Chinese American, uh, my parents immigrated here. My brother and I were the only two Asian kids in our entire high school. And uh, it was a it was a it was a great childhood. Uh, we um, 
uh, both uh, went to Harvard co for college, and uh, I studied neuroscience and uh, continued uh, to med school and business school. Um, eventually became a psychiatrist, so became very interested in talking to people and understanding what makes them tick and what makes them not tick. And uh, that a fascination has led me uh, uh, to become a psychiatrist and a mental health professional. And along the way, I started a number of companies and became very interested in the speed of entrepreneurship. I uh, felt that startups are a fantastic way to take a vision uh, and take the rigor of science and clinical medicine and then accelerate that as quickly as possible so that you could spread the, the goodness of that, so to speak, for, for, the, for people at large. And we'll go through, through all of that in, in just a little. I mean, one thing that I want to ask you is, obviously, you know, you have the entrepreneurial spirit. And uh, as, as you were alluding to, I mean, with your twin, I mean, you guys went to the same school, right, to Harvard. I mean, and I know that, you know, you and I have talked, you know, that there were areas where he was, you know, exceeding, you know, others where you were the one exceeding. How do you think that developed the competitive nature in you guys? Yeah, you know, this goes to the idea that therapy is so powerful as well, because it's so empowering, I should say. It, you know, if you look at yourself, every one of us have had childhood experiences or relationships with people, whether it's our siblings or friends or, or parents, that define us today, uh, that dictate how we react to situations. And the one that you bring up, competitiveness, is built into identical twins, right? Can you imagine you, you're, every day you wake up you go to school and you have someone who looks exactly like you, who's interfacing with the world just like you, you're going to be competitive. You want to be better and we're going to push each other to be better. And, you know, competitiveness, I, I should say here, that all the listeners here, all your entrepreneurs here are very, very competitive. It could be a good thing and a bad thing, right? On the good side, it can help you create. It could be very generative. You could come up with new ideas and realize visions that are very important, create new things. Yeah, on the other side, it could be um, it could be negative as well, right? So if you lose out on a deal, or maybe your company does not work out, and you're thinking, I, I should be better, I need to be better, it's preventing you from sleeping, right? So it can cause a lot of anxiety and even depression on the other side of this, right? So, uh, but knowing this, I do my best to channel uh, my identical twinness, the com uh, the competitiveness that's built innately within me. Uh, to the positive and try to try to steer away from the negative. But being aware of that um, is very much a product of therapy. Yeah, it's something that I've undergone myself, and I think it's very, very important. Um, um, but realizing that is actually as empowering as as anything else. I was going to the gym. You know, the, the, the other thing I'll say here is it's really interesting, right? We, we get a gym pass. We talk about mind and body, right? Everyone knows getting a gym pass is a good thing, going running, uh, you know, fit, being fit is a really positive thing. But we don't have that same orientation for being the same for the mental side of things as much, right? And that's something that I think is a cultural shift that is already underway and will be very important in unlocking a lot of potential for, uh, for entrepreneurs. Oh, 100%. Now, in your case, you know, you ended up going to Harvard to get the, uh, not only the, the college degree, but then also you did the uh, doctor of medicine degree there too. I guess the question here that comes to mind is, what got you so interested into how the brain works? Yeah, it's fascinating. It probably has to do with the fact that uh, I was an identical twin, and I grew up with a doppelganger throughout my life. Um, and I should also say that, you know, I, my parents uh, uh, did not have an easy life uh, moving from China to the States, and they had a lot of challenges. We did not grow up with a lot of resources. And so it was just very interesting to see how you have to imagine these two, you know, uh, 
to people from China who didn't speak a lot of English coming to the middle of the country and trying to integrate within a society. And that now they have kids who are Americans. Um, there were a lot of challenges about that, right, uh, along multiple different dimensions. So I became very interested in, well, how do people believe what they believe? Uh, how do they become who they are? What are the challenges that they face uh, and how do they deal with that in a uh, really, uh, 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 you know, I would say functional and helpful way? And that got me really interested in mental health and how can we improve mental health and performance of the people that uh, are suffering uh, unduly from, from care. And so I uh, became interested in psychiatry, just absolutely loved my rotation, talking to people uh, you know, at their lowest points, at their most challenging points, and being able to help them then. Uh, it was just a fascinating journey. And for me, as soon as I did my rotation in, in med school on, in psychiatry, I knew that I was, I was going to go down uh, uh, that, uh, that field. Yeah, because in, in medical training, that's where you started to um, to do your, your you know, in parallel startups. I mean, you did uh, basically two of them, Scholar Locker, and then also you did Valera Health. So what got you really into startups? Because, I mean, it's, it's a little bit different than maybe like the typical stuff that you would see in medical training and some of your colleagues do at Harvard. You know, they would maybe join and go to hospitals and things like that. So out of all things, startups, how do how does the whole venture world, you know, come knocking for you? It's a great question. I would argue that medicine and academia in general, so research, um, has many features that are very, very similar to the startup world, the entrepreneurship world and, and VCs. Uh, uh, and then they're critically different in other ways. So how are they similar? If you think about when you do research or medicine, uh, you are trying to research new questions. And you try to get funding for that through, let's say, the National Institute of Health grants from the federal government or from the local governments or from uh, philanthropy. And um, it's, uh, and, and of course, entrepreneurs, are, as your audience knows, you, you try to raise money from VCs and whatnot and try to uh, build on your vision. The metrics are slightly different, um, but that's largely the same. The critical difference is this, it's speed. And so if you look at academia, there was this one study that showed that when there is a medical study that comes out and says this treatment is, you know, treatment X is better than treatment Y, it could take over 10 years for that to actually influence care at a wide scale, right? There is, it, it's much, much slower, but it's very, very rigorous, right? So it, um, there's a, definitely a great space for that, right? But startups are particularly good at accelerating things as quickly as possible. Let me give you an example. You know, people say COVID-19, that pandemic is what caused telehealth to become more popular. And that's absolutely true. You know, the, the month before COVID happened, 90% of psychiatrists have never used telehealth. And a, a few months after uh, the COVID started, 90% uh, of psychiatrists were using telehealth, right? So that's absolutely true. But here's a piece that people forget. There was evidence that telehealth and mental health specifically was just as effective as in-person health. 10 years ago, that was already out there. However, the field just takes a lot of time to change, right? It's naturally conservative and incremental field, and I think that's actually a good thing. However, if you marry the uh, rigor of academia and medicine with the speed of entrepreneurship, that's how you can change the world. That's how you can really change the field. And that's, what, that's why I thought if we can just harness the, the positive things at each of these different spaces, we can really uh, do things that, uh, uh, that really change, revolutionize the way that the center of care is for patients. So let's talk about the first rodeo. 
that you did in, in, in startups. Let's talk about Scholar Locker. You know, you raised some VC there. I mean, how was that experience? Yeah, it was a tough one. I'm not going to lie. It was a great learning experience. Uh, we were, um, uh, one thing I learned that from that uh, rodeo, first rodeo, as you put it, is that uh, uh, don't be a VC-backed CEO while you're in medical school. Not a good idea. <laughs> um, and, um, but we learned a lot. We raised some money. We, uh, it was a, a education platform for medical students. And uh, uh, we were able to get uh, quite a bit of traction. And we sold it for not, nothing to write home about. Um, but it definitely whetted my uh, appetite for startups. And the next rodeo uh, was uh, Valera Health. It's one of the first telepsychiatry companies. And uh, we were able to get insurance plans uh, online. And the big innovation there was, A, access, getting people to quick access to care so they don't have to wait in line for mental health. And the second piece is quality, measuring the outcomes there. And that company is uh, doing quite well uh, uh, today. And um, after that, um, I was asked to be the chief medical officer of uh, Cerebral, which is uh, one of the largest telemental health companies uh, today. And um, I joined that about uh, two and a half years ago. And uh, now a year and a half ago, I stepped in on the CEO role. So at what point do you realize, because I mean, with Valera, you know, they're, they're doing pretty well too. You know, they, 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 the previous company that you founded, I mean, we're talking about a company that has raised you know, past the, um, past the Series B, uh, I believe that the total amount is about 71 million. So at what point does, you know, the idea of, hey, you know, maybe, you know, like I got to switch gears here. I mean, at what point that comes knocking? Because, I mean, obviously here you are, the first rodeo, you know, you did the full cycle. So that gave you really nice visibility, you know, with the company uh, that you did there with Scholar Locker. But with Valera now, you know, you were really experiencing something that, you know, had turned around the corner and that was ramping up really nicely. Why switching gears? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I would say it's, it's a couple of things. And first and foremost, uh, I like to do what's really exciting. And that time, Cerebral was the fastest growing healthcare company ever, not just in mental health, but in healthcare in general. And so it was a, it was a really interesting mandate uh, to come in and build out the clinical system and build out a quality and safety system at scale that, you know, eventually will affect, you know, we've treated close to 800,000 patients. Um, so that scale was certainly very, very, very interesting. And then the other thing I would say that uh, was really fascinating is that Cerebral, at Cerebral, we built our own EMR, our own electronic medical record system. And that's extraordinarily powerful. And uh, the reason for that, and this is, by the way, this is uh, for those of uh, your listeners who are not in healthcare, this is how clinicians document their notes. This is where clinical outcomes are posted. If you own that infrastructure, that allows you to do much more interesting things. For example, you know, we eventually built a machine learning system that detected if someone's at risk of suicidal thinking. And if they are, we pushed them resources, we gave them resources so that they can um, they can call 988, they can have educational resources around that, right? That's something you can't do unless you own your own infrastructure, you own your own EMR. And that was one piece that was very, very attractive. So for, for those reasons, uh, I, I moved over uh, to Cerebral CMO. And you joined as, you know, different CMO that uh, people, you know, in startups, you know, would identify as chief uh, marketing officer, in this case, chief medical officer. What does a chief medical officer do at a startup? Yeah, uh, good question. It really is about uh, the number of things. I would say two major pieces. One is you own the clinical service. 
So everything that happens in the clinical service, you're, you're overlooking those programs. And on the other side, it's helping the executives come up with the next thing, right? So give them the strategy, help guide the strategy and the vision of where the company uh, is supposed to go, right? And on the first part, it is really important because, uh, you know, especially in mental health care, and, you know, people find this uh, surprising, um, but mental health care, uh, I'll say on behalf of psychiatrists, we've failed. Collectively, we have failed uh, because not only is access terrible, people often wait months before they see a psychiatrist, but most mental health clinicians do not follow clinical guidelines. Uh, this is something, and they're not, their feet are not held to the fire, right? And there are a number of reasons for that. But as a field, we would not accept this. Again, if you're a cardiologist, if you're a surgeon, um, you would, if they did the same thing that psychiatrists did today, you would not accept that. So there's such a great uh, piece of value to be added by following clinical guidelines, by making sure we're delivering high quality care um, and um, and ensuring that people, our clinicians have the tools to deliver that care efficiently and effectively, that um, there's just a lot of excitement there. So you might ask, well, you know, moving backwards, why is the market for that? Why did that explode? It was not just COVID. It was also because the current quality of care of mental health was so lagging that these technologies, telehealth, uh, was just a major, major catalyst for us to uh, to make a change. Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. So Cerebral, so uh, for the people that are listening, how do you guys, what's the business model? How do you guys make money? Yeah, we're a direct-to-consumer a healthcare company, so a subscription. You can uh, go to Cerebral.com and sign up for, let's say, talk therapy, which, you know, weekly talk therapy, as you imagine it, um, and or medication uh, management. So if, let's say, you need an antidepressant or other uh, medication that may be appropriate for your uh, um, uh, diagnosis, and people sign up and uh, they get the care, they could, uh, it's purely virtual, meaning they can get the care through their smartphone or their computer. Um, this is really powerful um, because... Um, I'll give you an example. We had a patient who uh, we were uh, talking to, and uh, the, uh, 
he was getting therapy from his pickup truck. He would pull to the side of the road and uh, be on his phone. And his therapist eventually asked, "Why? why you know, I'll make up a name, John. You know, why are you on your phone? You know, why are you at, not at home or in an office?" And he paused for a second. And he said, "Look, I don't make enough money to have a private office at work, and I'm not ready to tell my wife and my kids that I have depression. So you're going to have to meet me where I am." because I'm sick and tired of meeting doctors where they are. And I think that was really emblematic. It became a calling card for us, which is that the healthcare system is very much built for the doctors, for the clinicians. It's clinician-centered care. It's not patient-centered care. And so that's a major piece of what we do, right? Uh, which is providing telehealth to people who otherwise, uh, for a number of reasons, would not be able to access uh, that care. Now, in your case, you know, you started, as you were saying, you know, in 2021 as a chief medical officer and literally within, you know, a little bit over a year, you became the CEO. So tell us about that transition, stepping up. Yeah, it was um, a challenging uh, transition, certainly. Uh, the, the scoping of a company of this size is, is very significant and um, the remit is, is significantly larger. Um, but it was a, a great opportunity to further, uh, I would say, inject clinical DNA into our vision going forward. And so this was, uh, uh, if you think about it, we are one of the only telehealth companies at scale, 50, all 50 states that's run by a clinician. And so the idea that we want to provide comprehensive care can be realized because of that. Um, so this meant more investments on the quality side, more investments on the talk therapy side. Um, you know, people sometimes don't know this, but if you have depression, you have many options for treatment. You can go to talk therapy or you can take medications, but actually the most effective treatment is doing both, having both talk therapy and medications. And there's a, a good research to show that that gets you better, faster, fastest, I would say, right? So, um, it, you know, it gave me the chance to come up with the vision of we're going to provide comprehensive mental health care. Uh, for our patients, and we call it the cerebral leg, right? And Alejandro, this is very different than some of the competitors out there who, uh, you know, some competitors even just, they text with you, they never see you on telehealth, and they're willing to write you a medication and send it your way, right? Which I would, no psychiatrist, 0% of psychiatrists would say that's high quality care. And so the idea here is how can we buck that trend instead of the cheapest, hey, uh, get your meds quickly type of service, we're going to be a comprehensive mental health system that can be the long-term partner to patients throughout their journey. So entrepreneurship and depression, what can you tell us about this? Yeah, what a great topic, Alejandro, and it's such an uh, important one. I would say I have not met a founder, a successful founder, who has not suffered from mental illness today. That's, uh, that's, that's generally true. And the reason is because um, it's a lot. This is a lot. Starting a company from zero, taking something from zero to one is a lot. And um, um, I would also say that the majority of founders I know um, uh, seek some sort of help, whether they call it therapy or executive coaching or something in between uh, or life counseling or whatever they want to call it. Fundamentally, it's the same thing. And what that is, is really using talk therapy. Well, let's just call it talk in, uh, in general to empower themselves, to realize how they can do better, how they can, and that's not just for their business, right? But for themselves personally, you know, um, and, you know, I'll give you an example here. Um, 
there's a well-known founder who, um, for a while, I was talking to a good friend of mine, and he would uh, he gets angry pretty quickly. And so um, what I realized was that the anger was all consuming for him. So, for example, he's he's a founder at this company. He was at a meeting once, and someone said something, took credit for a little bit more credit than than, uh, than they deserved. And this founder got really upset. The founder was thinking to himself, that was me. I did all of that. And I've got this guy trying to take credit from me. And that anger was just all consuming. For the r- remainder of the day, it just consumed me. He snapped at some of his employees. He was uh, canceled the meeting. He was supposed to have dinner with his wife. He decided not to. Uh, and the next day, he was telling me about this. I said, wow, that's this is terrible, right? And after some work that he's done with his therapist, he's realized where that anger is coming from. You know, it, it came from childhood experiences where he was um, quite, uh, uh, you know, he actually, there were times where his brother would take credit for things that he was able to do and his parents maybe were not aware of this kind of thing. So that really triggered something. But being aware of that allowed him to notice that emotion the next time it came up and make sure that, you know, with time that it stopped taking over his life and dictating how he felt for the rest of the day, destroying his product, productive hours, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just one example here, right? It's not necessarily that he needs to have a diagnosis, right? But therapy could be helpful because it helps empower um, you to understand where your emotions are coming from, where your drives are coming from, maybe where your insecurities are coming from. And just that knowledge, that awareness of that can help you control things in ways um, uh, that you would like for that to happen. And obviously, you don't know what you don't know. So at what point do you realize as a human being, and especially all the people that are listening to us, that maybe it's the time to reach for help and maybe use, you know, something like Cerebro? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, you know, when in doubt, ask. That's the way I would uh, I would put it, right? Um, all of us are dealing with something. Uh, and uh, the way to think about this is not, is am I? Is there something wrong with me? Right? Do I have a diagnosis? Do I have you know? That's. Uh, let me back up for a second, Alejandro, if I, if I may. If you think about mental health, it's kind of sad that it's trying to be forced into the medical system, right? So, for example, let me let me give you an example for this. If you break your leg, you go to the hospital, they fix your leg. You had a problem, they fixed it, and that's it. They're done, right? In mental health, it's when you show up, you may not have a diagnosis. You may have a diagnosis. But they, let's say they fix, quote unquote, fix the diagnosis and you get back to standard. That's not how mental health works. Because again, it's like going to the gym, right? It takes iterative time and you get better and better at managing things. It's a continuum that goes up, right? So it's not something that where you like a broken leg. It's something that you could continually get better on, you know, being aware of your relation, being aware of how your past experiences inform your current experience, um, relationships, right? And then continually improving on that over and over and over again, right? So I, I see it as, again, that's why I use the word empowerment, because this ties very, very critically to something else. I can't tell you how many founders call me and say, hey, David, I know, I know you're a shrink. I know you're a shrink. I know you're a psychiatrist. Um, I don't have a diagnosis, but can we talk about X or Y, right? Well, I don't care if there's a diagnosis. I, let's, let's move away from that system. If you're suffering, if you're not feeling well, talk about it. So, you know, as a first step, I would just say, when in doubt, talk about it because it, at, at the worst, you just find, more about, find out more about yourself and there's no, there's no uh, downside to that. Absolutely. 
for the people that are listening to get an idea on the scope and size, you know, of Share World today. I mean, you guys have raised uh, quite a bit of money and have uh, quite a bit of employees too. What can you tell us? Yeah, about a thousand people, clinicians and employees included, and we're treating uh, patients in um, all uh, 50 states. And uh, we're really excited. Uh, you know, one of the first things I did when I took over as CEO was, um, as you could probably tell from my excitement about this, leaning into talk therapy, right? Because talk therapy is really, really fundamentally important in addition to medications, right? So, um, you know, the way I think about medications is it helps the symptoms, right? So let, let you know, take another example. Um, uh, there, was a, there was a founder that I was talking to and she ran a pretty successful startup, exited and just, I will never do a startup again. And I said, well, why would, while well, you were so successful, you, you know, she said, no, every day I felt like I didn't belong. I, I felt like I was an imposter. I, you know, this imposter syndrome that is very common. I felt like I just didn't belong. I, I shouldn't be here. Uh, uh, the investors uh, know it and I don't know it, but like, what but the numbers are great. You know, after she was able to work on that specific piece, she found another company and did very well. Right. So uh, the idea here is that, again, going back to being able to, use uh, mental health care as empowerment to let people become the best versions of themselves. That became my thesis when I when I took over um, a, a year and a half ago. And um, you know, we want to be able to provide this for people um, um, across the board. Uh, I should say this is, again, going back to the stigma. So these people that I'm talking to, all of them got care through telehealth because they had the same concern, maybe a valid concern. They said, I don't want to go to a therapy office, a physical therapy office, sit there, and might, I might run into one of my neighbors, or God forbid, one of my business partners or investors, and they would see me, and that would be terrible, right? So that, that just logistical concern has prevented, I would say, millions and millions of people from seeking help. And it has forced them to suffer in silence, right? So this is where I think this is not just cerebral, but telehealth in general has really empowered a generation of people in a way that uh, they have never been uh, before. And how much capital has cerebral raised to date? Yeah, uh, about uh, 400 and a little bit more than $450 million of uh, venture capital. And uh, so we have very good runway. And it's, uh, as you can imagine, helpful during a time uh, where the macro environment uh, is challenging. We are certainly you know, very conscious of that and uh, I would say, in a word, lucky. And how do you manage through, uh, obviously the macro environment now is, is pretty bumpy. So how do you manage you know, to go through a downturn and then also preserving cash? Yeah, runway is critical. And you know, uh, the honest truth, it's been challenging, right? The last 18 months we had to go through rounds of layoffs and we had to do that because we had to make sure that the cash uh, could sustain us uh, for for years to come, and we have an obligation here uh, to our patients uh, to be able to do that. And so um, I should say that um, I people who work in healthcare startups they do have this privilege of purpose, uh, meaning that our north star, our moral north star, is we have to take great care of our patients, and that keeps people, our best people, really motivated day day to day, even though we're going through some of these challenges. And so I'm happy to say that as we went through um, some cycles of uh, reductions in force, we were able to continually improve the quality of care during that time. So our NPS scores were going up and up and up uh, during the same time period. So um, no easy way to do that. And I would say that if you look around and look at the companies that tried to weather the storm without making major structural changes, most of them are gone by. 
uh, most of them have uh, have been um, have run out of cash and had to fold. And so it's uh, it is something that has to be done. And the second piece here is that I would say this is where the mission is so critical. You know, during the hardest times, during the darkest times, you can always say, well, what are we working so hard to do? What are we working overdrive to do? Well, democratizing access to high quality mental health care or whatever your company's motto is. Keep people excited about that. Keep people very, very focused on that because your best people will continually be motivated by that. And they'll stay and they'll help you uh, reach new heights, maybe at, with fewer resources, right? So that, those are the people that you want, the ones who are really, really, really driven by the ultimate mission of, of what you want to do. So it's, uh, definitely surround yourself with, uh, with operators who, uh, who have, uh, have an eye to mission. So let's say you go to sleep tonight, David, and you wake up in a beautiful world, a beautiful world where the vision of Cerebral is fully realized. What does that world look like? <clears throat> Yeah, what a what a great question, Alejandro. I, you know, I would say the future of mental health care looks very different than what it is today. So the future looks like this: you sign up for care, and you get. And we have this today already, but um, but you get. And some of the things I'll mention we don't have today. But uh, let's talk about the ideal state, so to speak, right? So you go to Cerebral, you sign up for care, and the AI matches you with a clinician based on. Um, your background, your preferences, right? Uh, and this is someone with whom you have a higher chance of building a good relationship with. You meet with this person next week. Uh, you meet with a therapist and a prescriber. They're coordinating their care, meaning that they're reading each other's notes so they know how to provide uh, coordinated care for you. Um, let's say things get bad and you get suicidal. They're aware of that ahead of time and they are able to escalate care as need be, right? And uh, let's say you get better and you don't need to talk to your therapist weekly. They can de-escalate care. It becomes by, you know, care every other week or care every month. Let's say after seven months, you're feeling great and you feel like, I want to put a pause on therapy. No problem. You can pause on therapy and they keep on, keep tabs on you. You know, so you will keep on sending you surveys to make sure that you're doing well, digital education, um, information along uh, that way. So a maintenance plan of some sort. And let's say winter comes and your depression comes back, one button, you're back on your therapy as need be, right? So well, the way I'm describing this, this is an adaptable, data-driven mental health system um, that uh, that should be there and at a price point that everyone can afford, right? That's where the future of mental health needs to be. That is our North Star, right? creating that, becoming the long-term partner through, for everyone throughout their mental health journey, journeys and not becoming that, you know, uh, where the status quo, which is that, you know, you do weekly therapy or you do monthly med management and it's pretty rigid, right? So the idea here is to meet the patient where they are, give them objectively good data uh, and good care. And uh, again, be there at the level, um, you know, what I like to tell my team is the right level of care for the right patient at the right time, at all times. But that's the, that's the thesis of where we want to move towards. So that sounds like a beautiful world. Now, we're talking about the uh, future here. I want to talk about the past, but doing so with a lens of reflection. Let's say I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back perhaps, you know, to that moment where you were doing your medical training and, and really getting excited and pumped about the world of startups. So let's say you had the opportunity of having a chat with your younger self, that younger David, and being able to give that younger David one piece of advice for launching a company. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Great question, man. There's so many lessons learned. Um, uh, you know, I would say probably the most important thing 
in startups especially. So you have to understand the advantage of startups is that you can move very quickly and nimbly. So when you make a strategic change, make it decisively, right? There's uh, and you've got enough data, just make it decisively. Um, and uh, you know, great companies are able to pivot very quickly. Um, and that's the advantage you have over bigger companies. And you know, my last company, we started off as a software company, and the revenue was fine, but it wasn't growing at the level that we liked it to. And then so there was a okay, let's add clinical services, and that's not an easy thing. You can't do that half-heartedly, right? Um, when you have to hire a clinician, start a PC, do all these different things, that's a lot of work. But when we did it, we did it very, very decisively. And that's what was the differentiation between, you know, there was a slew of startups that were SaaS-based and couldn't really make a conversion or couldn't try to juice a market that frankly wasn't as big as most people thought it was, right? So doing that very quickly is important and, um, you know, have taken that lesson uh, onwards uh, with Cerebral and, and other ventures as well. Amazing. So David, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Yeah, send me an email. Uh, I think it's probably the easiest way. Uh, I'm uh, it's my first name David dot m o u at uh, cerebral uh, dot com. Um, I really appreciated the time here, Alejandra. Really had fun uh, in this conversation. Amazing, David. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today, David. Thanks for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.